Well, dear friends, we're looking at Luke chapter 11. We're walking through verses 27 and 28 this morning. Let me go ahead and read uh, those verses, beginning in verse 27 of Luke 11. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. What we see here within this passage is the blessedness of rightly hearing the word of God. Now, approaching a passage like this, you could even ask the question, why stop and focus on just a couple verses like this? It's only two verses in the middle of this passage. It, either, it easily could have been uh, used with the passage prior to this or the one that is following this passage. Furthermore, it's something that we've already covered. This is a topic that is covered in numerous places within the Scriptures. We see it most notably um, a few chapters back in Luke 8, in verses 19 through 21. It says this, Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. These are passages that are somewhat repetitive. I could find multiple other passages that read very similarly, passages whereby you would read them and come to the same conclusions. These are repetitive, but they're providentially repetitive. They're divinely repetitive. And that means that the Lord desires for us to hear this once again. This is something that I need to hear myself in my life. This is something that I need to remember within my own life. These are issues that are common to all people everywhere. All people everywhere need to be reminded of the importance of the Word of God. They need to be reminded of the importance of the preached Word of God, the declared Word of God, and most especially the declared Word of God as the people of God who have been brought to life in Christ Jesus are gathered together and worshiping the risen Lord Jesus Christ on the Lord's Day. So there's two things that we'll, we'll pull out of this passage. Um, the first is just the blessing of the family relation. She, the woman gives a benediction. She recognizes the blessing of Christ being the child of Mary, the blessing that that was for Mary. And we don't want to read this in the wrong way. We don't want to read this as, as a correction that Jesus is saying, no, you're wrong, you're incorrect. But rather, what he is doing here is he's emphasizing that which is of a greater blessing, that which is of greater blessedness. So secondly, we see this blessing through participation. Blessing through the participation in hearing the Word of God. Blessing in the participation of declaring the Word of God. And I would say this, that all of you have been involved in doing that this morning. Those of you who have been participating in the service. Let's look at this first part, though, because I think it's important to rightly cover this area and see this from the right perspective, this blessing by family relation or through a family relation in Luke 11 and verse 27. It says, and he said these things, as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. And we have within this passage a woman who is blessing Mary, the mother of Jesus. She is declaring a benediction upon her because she has given birth to such a great man because she has given birth to the Messiah. She gave birth to him, and then she cared for him. She nursed him. She, she raised him. And we need to see this rightly. He's not contradicting her. He's not telling her that she's wrong, but he's not staying where she is. She's go he's going beyond where she is. I do want to say this, and it needs to be understood. Roman Catholics would do well to pay attention to passages like this. They would do well to be mindful of the words of Jesus in a passage like this. There is a hyper-focus within Roman Catholic theology upon Mary as the mother of Jesus. It is strongly contained within Roman Catholic dogma. And when I say Roman Catholic dogma, 
That is according to the normal traditional understanding in Roman Catholicism that if you were to deny these dogmas, you would not be a Christian. You would be on your way to hell. You would be committing a mortal sin. And what's interesting about these dogmas is that at any point in Roman Catholic history, there can be a vote and then a new dogma can be put forward. And you will see that. Some of these were put forward in the 5th and 6th century. And we have some that have been put forward in the 19th century and some even in the 20th century. One particular dogma that they have is the bodily assumption of Mary. If you want to see how this religion has evolved over the years, this was voted on in November of 1950. You might say, well, it's the bodily assumption of Mary. That's the idea that when she died, she, her, her body was immediately resurrected and joined with her soul. So her soul, her sp- she, was, she was put back together. She's in heaven as a, a full human with a soul and a body at this time because of this m- miracle that happened. Nobody uh, codified this in Roman Catholic doctrine until 1950. Another dogma they have is that of the Immaculate Conception. Now, you might say, oh, the Immaculate Conception, that's the conception of Jesus within the womb of Mary. No, that's not the Immaculate Conception. In fact, the Immaculate Conception is the doctrine within Roman Catholicism that Mary was born without sin. She was born unlike you. You were born under the effects of sin from Adam, your first forefather, But Mary, they teach, was not born in this way. She was born without the effects of sin. That's an incredible statement to make. They go even further. Would you like to know where they go? They teach that Mary was sinless. 1943, Pope Pius XII taught in in, an encyclical, uh, Mystici Corpus Christi, that Mary also was sinless personally, free from all sin, original or personal. She had no sin whatsoever, according to this pope, and this was declared in 1943. This was additionally added to the catechism of the Roman Catholic Church. Mary remained free from every personal sin her whole life. What purpose did the blood of Christ serve for her? But yet we know this. We know this within Mary's Magnificat, which we walked through when we began this gospel, that she declares that God was her Savior. Well, pray tell, what is he saving her from? They claim she has no original sin. They claim she committed no actual sin within her life. She lived her life perfect according to the Roman Catholic Church. But Mary says that in Luke 1 and verse 47, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. They also teach the idea that Mary remained a virgin her entire life after the birth of Jesus and throughout her marriage to Joseph. This was actually uh, quite a bit early in in church history at the Lateran Council in the 7th century Um, and also by Pope Martin around that time. uh, He went on to teach that that remained before, during, and after the birth, which led to all kinds of very interesting theories. When you read a A gospel, which is not a gospel that we would see within the scriptures, but the proto-evangelism of James or the gospel of James written somewhere around the second or third century. And it actually basically teaches within there that Jesus was just beamed out. There he was. One moment he was in her womb. Next moment, there he is. He's in the hands of Mary. I'll refrain from reading much from that, 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 letter, that book because there's some credible things within there. They go on to even pray to Mary. This is something very common within the Roman Catholic Church. They pray to those who are deceased. And we've talked about previously how that would be necromancy, how that is forbidden in the Old Testament and within the New Testament. We backed that up previously, but they have a, a special prayer they pray to her called Hail Mary. Sometimes when people sin, they do what's called a venial sin. That's Well, maybe not bad enough to put you in hell, but it's bad enough to put you in purgatory. So they'll give you this this, uh, prayer to say for this so-called venial sin. And they pray to Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. 
It is really incredible the veneration that is placed upon Mary. And this is fascinating. When you look at the Quran and what, what um, Muhammad says about Mary, it's really incredible because Muhammad was a man, you have to understand, who was illiterate. He didn't know how to read. And that's not just me saying that as a Christian. That is understood by Muslims that, that, that Muhammad was illiterate. He didn't know how to read. And so we see his understanding of Roman Catholicism and Mary and how they looked at Mary within the Quran. And we see this within Surah 5 in Ayah 116. Surah is basically like a book in the Quran, and Ayah is basically a verse. Listen to this. It says, And behold, Allah will say, O Jesus, the son of Mary, didst thou say unto men, Take me, my mother, for two gods beside Allah. Do you see what he said there? Okay? Did you say to the son of Mary, did you say, take my mother and me for two gods beside Allah? Look what he is saying. Look what's being communicated there. They believe that Mary was the third person of the Trinity. You've heard of this Trinity, so we believe there's the Father, the Son, and there is Mary. Continuing on, the Quran, Surah 4 and Ayah 171. O people of the book. Now, the people of the book would be um, Christians, and sometimes in the Quran it's also referring to, to Jews, but people of the book. Commit no excesses in your religion, nor say Allah ought to be ought, ought but the truth. Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, was no more than a messenger from Allah, and his word, which he bestowed on Mary, and a spirit proceeding from him. So believe in Allah and his messengers. Say not three. Desist. It will be better for you, for Allah is one God. Glory be to him. Uh, far exalted is he above having a son. To him belong all things in the heavens and on earth. And enough is Allah, the disposer of affairs. And so you see there again this idea that Muhammad looking out and seeing the religion around him, seeing how these, these people that claimed to be Christians were behaving, how they were worshiping, how they were acting. They saw them praying to Mary. Have you seen some of these festivals that people have where there's, there's giant statues of Mary and people are bowing down. Remember, I was in Saltillo, Mexico many years ago, and it was a Roman Catholic church. I, I was in the town center. We were walking around and finding people to share the gospel with, and there was this church, and I went in there, and it was, it was incredible. There were, there were hundreds of statues all around, and an enormous statue of Mary with a little, little tiny baby Jesus that, that she was she was holding, and there was a man in front of the statue just weeping and crying and throwing water all about himself. Is it not surprising that Muhammad would look around and say, say not three, believing that Mary was a part of the Trinity? And that is something that I think Roman Catholics would do well to be mindful of this. They go so far as to call her a co-redemptrix. What is a co-redemptrix? I'm going to get you three statements on that from gotquestions.org. Mary participates in the redemption with Jesus Christ. Secondly, grace is granted by Jesus only through the intercession of Mary. That's a very crucial point there. And thirdly, all prayers from the faithful must flow through Mary who brings them to the attention of her son. Now, this isn't something that's contained within Roman Catholic dogma, but this is one that is believed by a great many Roman Catholics. Roman Catholics would do well to heed the words of Jesus within this passage. Jameson Fawcett Brown, um, it's one of them that made this comment within the commentary, says this, How utterly alien is the sediment from the teaching of the Church of Rome, which would excommunicate any one of its members who dared to talk in the spirit of this glorious saying. And that's what Jesus will do. Jesus will blatantly, I believe, in the next verse, contradict much of Roman Catholic theology in regard to Mary with how it is uh, he will make a statement of true blessedness. He will basically say that you are more blessed in hearing the word of God and keeping it than Mary was in being the mother of Jesus. And that's an incredible statement. And he means it to be that way. But these errors within Roman Catholicism, I say these great errors, which many of you are shocked at some of the things that I've said. Some of you are accustomed to some of these things that I've said. But these errors shouldn't send us in the 
other direction. All right, We've been through some of this blessedness that is there within the life of Mary. We saw that very early on within this gospel. Luke emphasizes the blessedness of Mary as the mother of Jesus. Elizabeth recognizes the blessedness of Mary. We see that in Luke 1, 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She is blessed because Christ is within her womb, the Messiah. She is the one that the Lord spoke of in the garden. She is the woman from whom the Messiah will come. He is the one that will crush the head of the serpent. What a blessing for her to have. What a blessed opportunity to serve God in this way. Mary recognized her blessedness and her magnificence there in Luke 1, 46 through 49. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. So we need to take the words of Jesus in light of what we even see Mary saying here, because it was blessed. It is a blessing. This is a benediction that this woman is declaring over Mary, and she's declaring this at a time after Jesus uh, was doing miracles and was teaching. Remember, he had just healed a man. He had just exercised a demon from a man that was keeping the man from, from talking. And perhaps the woman even here is, is considering how you know, sometimes it's not outside of, of what we can do sometimes. You perhaps as a parent look over and you see someone's kids and they're acting very well and maybe your kids aren't acting well at this moment or maybe you're going through this or that and you're just, you're looking and you're saying, wow, they've just got it off so much better than I do. Now, there's probably a lot of things that you're not seeing, all right? You're, you're seeing one moment in time right here, but maybe, you know, they do have it a little better than you do. Maybe their job isn't as difficult as yours is at this particular moment. And maybe she's even looking at that and saying, wow, how my life would have been so much better if I were the one who had bore the Lord Jesus Christ. But we must be cautious of this even ourselves, that, that, that even our blessedness and our joy in our Christian walk cannot be tied into our children. It cannot be based in our children. It cannot be foundational within our, our children. That is, that is an idol that is there. It is an idol of something that is good. It, it is good to care for your children. It is good to desire what is best for your children. It is good to desire your children to grow up and to be godly. And, 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 but those are good things. But these must be, not be something whereby we are we're basing our, our hope in Christ on or we are not finding our, our, our joy, our soul joy within that. No, it's, it's crucial that our joy must be in Christ. We must serve God through every avenue that he gives us, through every opportunity that he gives us. So Jesus here doesn't refuse the benediction, but rather he informs this benediction. He puts forward a greater benediction. R.C. Sproul makes this comment on the passage. He says, Jesus accepted her benediction, but says that the real blessing is held in trust by God for those who hear his word and keep it. He is elevating this idea of hearing the word of God and keeping it. He continues, Sproul continues, but Jesus reinforces the point, for keeping the word of God comes the happiness for the blessedness for those, um, for, this is for which we were created. God has not set his law before us to make us unhappy, but to free and to fulfill us, to give us joy, peace, and happiness. And you have that within the scriptures. The law of God and the gospel of God contained there at any point within the scriptures. So we see this blessing, all right, this blessing in, in the relationship that existed between Mary and Jesus. But we see this further blessing in the participation, participation in the word of God. This participation in, in hearing the word of God. Look at verse 28 of Luke 11. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what he's saying, he's saying it is more important to be an adopted brother of Christ and a child of God than it is to be the earthly mother of Jesus. 
It's more important to be a child of God than the mother of Jesus. As it said in the definition of Chalcedon, Mary the mother of God. She was also the adopted child. And I may say Mary the mother of God, and you're like, oh, I don't like these words. And I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole too long, but this is an understanding that, 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 that we understand that she, she bore him and she bore his humanity. Okay, But the, we also understand that this is one person and Christ was fully God and fully man. And so you may attribute divinity and humanity to, to the person. And we have that held within our confession. It's not saying, and nobody believes that it means this, that she in some way created God or she in some way had the ability to contain God. God is omnipresent. You can't contain God. Um, but this is the term that is used. And there was a blessing that was there, but the greater blessing was the fact that she was saved by God, all right, that she gave birth to the one that would, that would save her. And we have these Christmas songs that are sung every year that uh, have particular, you know, emotional effects upon us as we kind of reflect upon that, that idea that the child that she's holding is the one who is going to save her. He is the, as the song says, he is the great I am. Jesus' point is that there is greater blessing in being one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Now, all of us know this, all of us believe this, and all of us need to be reminded of this truth. There is a reason why the word of God is so central in Protestant services, or rather, it, it should be. Historically, the word of God is, is central. You see, the, even here, the the, uh, the pulpit is elevated. There is this idea of what's happening here is, is a very important and primary aspect. It is central. There are other, religi not other religions, but um, we could even say other denominations in Christianity. We'll word it that way. Other sects within Christianity where you will have rather a, a table that is here where you know, priests will be or uh, pastors, ministers will be doing uh, different ceremonies in the pulpit will rather be pushed to the side. And this is something that happened during the Protestant Reformation, um, is that the pulpit was placed here more in the center. And that's something that was also central during the times of the early church, when that's what they were gathering and doing. You can see what they were doing. They were gathering together, and they were singing, they were praying, they were reading the Word, and they were hearing the Word declared. Those were the things that were primary. By the way, that's what the Scriptures say we should be doing Therefore, that's why we do those particular things, regardless of what anyone's done previously within uh, church history. But the centrality and the importance of the Word of God can be found in many places within the Scriptures. Let's look at a couple of them. 1 Peter 1, 22 and 23. It says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see Peter talking about the fact that the word is there centrally used in bringing a person to conversion. We see that in a very famous passage in Romans 10. It's often just used as a snippet. It's sometimes just used to create a, a recipe. This is the recipe you follow, and then we'll deem you a Christian but it's an important passage, and we must not look past it. Romans 10, we're going to look at 8 through 15, so we kind of get it within the context. But it said, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call, call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him um, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach 
good news. And we see a flow going through this passage that emphasizes the Word of God, the necessity of the Word of God, whereby someone can trust in Christ and believe upon Him and repent. The repentance is there. You're saying Jesus is Lord. That's not you just repeating it after someone, though you may repeat it after someone, but the key there is you're recognizing Jesus as Lord. Why is that so significant? Well, because in this time period, it was Caesar that was Lord. You had to declare Caesar was Lord. There are many Christians who died in persecution because they refused to declare that Caesar was Lord. And it would be very simple. And you've heard this from me before, but it would be very simple. Some soldiers would come by, and there would be an icon of Caesar. There would be a fire that is going. There would be some incense. All you got to do is grab that incense and throw it in there and say, Caesar is Lord. And you are good. You're good to go. You can keep doing whatever religion you want to do, any way you want to do it, as long as you'll take that incense and throw it on there and say, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians would not do that because they knew what they were saying. They weren't just saying Caesar is the president. No, no, they understood that there was uh, emperor worship that was going on during this time that Caesar believed that he was God. And that's what you were declaring, that you can have these different religions, but they're all under the authority of Caesar. Well, Jesus says no to that. The apostles said no to that. Early Christians said no to that. And that is the repentance that you see, this turning from the ways of the world, the culture in which you lived. And you see the importance in this passage as well on the declaration of the Word of God, the importance that people need to hear the Word of God whereby they can be saved. You know, some people ask the question, well, what about that person over there somewhere on an island that, that would believe if he just heard the gospel? Well, Jesus is going to send someone to preach the gospel to that person. The, the, the sheep of Jesus hear his voice. Jesus knows who his sheep are. Jesus will go and gather his sheep. But it's necessary that they hear the word of God. It's necessary that one declares it to them. And so you see this emphasis even closing out here in this passage of the importance of sending people, the people that would go out and preach the Word of God. Hearing the Word of God is important for all people everywhere, and not just adults. And I know some of you, maybe you're visitors, and there's some, there's some noises sometimes that are maybe a little distracting. You hear a noise from this child or that child, and this is I'm completely used to it. I, I've been here for many years, and so it, it, doesn't, it doesn't distract me any longer. In fact, if there was no noise at all, I would be really distracted. When I've gone to churches and there's no children at all, it's almost like it's so, it's so quiet. It's almost an eerie quietness. Like if I drop my pencil, you're going to hear me. No one's going to hear me drop my pencil in here. Maybe not just the carpet, but that there's other noises that are going on. And this is important for us because we want the children to hear the Word of God. We want the Lord to be working within their lives at an, at an early, early age. The Word of God is crucial and is important. So I want to apply this a little bit, apply this idea of the importance of the Word of God and the, the centrality of the Word of God here within the, the Protestant service and the importance of the, hearing the Word of God, the blessedness of hearing the Word of God and, and keeping it as Jesus says, and I want to make sure it's understood that I'm going to give some applications here that, that apply to my family. Some of these things are, are things that, that we've had to learn over the years and we're still regularly having to work on. So as I give some of these applications, please nobody think like, oh, well, he's talking to me this morning because of this. I'm not talking to anyone in particular. I'm talking to everyone in general and myself and my family included so in applying this, we should therefore prepare ourselves to hear the Word of God. I think that's a very important application, not preparationalism, whereby I'm, I'm doing a bunch of religious actions where I have to get myself ready, but rather we should work in our lives such a way that we're not distracted from the time when the Word is being proclaimed, the hearing the Word of God. And some ways that we have found that are very important in preparing is preparation for these things the night before. Like we are going to bring a meal and we're going to eat it amongst the people here. We're going to have a fellowship meal. Making that the night before. Um, preparing ourselves to, to hear the word of God. Um, it's very, very important to, to be making ourselves regular and, and to ready for these things. Some of you might be thinking this though. You might be saying, you know, 
Pastor, you just think the preaching is most important because that's what you're doing. You, you think, you know what, you preach and that's your thing and, and it's important and we like it, but that, that's not what it's all about. That's not what the service is all about. And I want you to understand this. I am not saying the declaration of the Word of God within the Lord's Day service as the people are gathered together only occurs when I stand up here to preach. And some people, some people miss that. Some people think that. There's even a, a priority of, of the preaching. Sometimes people will be distracted with this and that, but then seek to not be distracted during the time of the preaching. It's important that you would not want to be distracted during the time of the preaching, but you need to understand this, that hearing the Word of God is not only during the preaching portion, responding to the Word of God is not only during the preaching within the service, the entirety of the service should contain the Word of God. The Word of God should be informing the entirety of the service, certainly within the elements. Certainly, we, we practice what we call regulative worship here at Grace Family Baptist Church. We are Reformed Baptists. That means we do in worship what the Bible says is worship. We don't bring strange fire. We don't come up with new ideas. We don't try to innovate and, and, and improve upon what God has said we should do. We, we trust God. Right? Think about it. When, when they were told to march around Jericho, were they to improve that? Were they to, well, let's see if we can come up with some better battle strategies. There are pretty much any battle strategy would have been better than just marching around a city uh, seven times. But that's not what they were told to do. And the same is true with us. There's a trusting God in doing what he says, trusting God in following his plan. He's not asking for my new ideas. And so the elements that are contained within the service are only going to be that which the scriptures say are actually worship. But furthermore, these elements are all informed, particularly by the word of God. Right? We have a call to worship at the beginning of the service where we are, we are putting forward a theme for the service. Many times it is, it is, it is chosen by whoever is preaching that day to, to get your mind set upon where we are going or, or what we are going to be talking about when we get to, to the, the Word of God. We have entire chapters of the Bible that we read. We read an Old Testament passage. We read a, a New Testament passage. We have passages that we recite together. We have portions of teaching in the service. Those are based upon the Word of God. We may not always put the references up there, but these catechism questions that we recite together are, are questions and answers that are based upon what the Word of God says. We have many hymns within the service. Sometimes we're singing psalms. We're singing something out of the, 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 the Psalter in the Bible. Other times we're reading songs that are influenced upon the Word of God. We sing Amazing Grace. What an excellent and uh, historically famous gospel him. And of course, each and every uh, Lord's Day, we, we have the blessing of hearing the Word of God, hearing the Word of God preached. Very important time. And it's important that what is being proclaimed is contained within the Word of God, is a basis of what the Word of God says. And you may say to yourself, okay, look, th there's a lot of stuff here. There's a lot of different components. This isn't really my, my learning style, okay? I like more of a hands-on learning style, or I like maybe some more technology in my learning. Maybe we could be, you know, doing something with our phones and tweeting, and people have tried that over the years. It's, that kind of came and went in, in some of the churches that were, that were doing those things. But you need to understand the way the Lord has chosen to work within His church. You need to understand the means that He has has given, and this is a means that God has given that he has used throughout the history of the church. And throughout the history of the church, the people of God are gathering together on the Lord's Day to hear the Word of God, to declare the Word of God. And it's not about you grasping every single aspect of it or you gaining knowledge from every single portion of it, like you're studying a book or you're reading through a, a dissertation that someone wrote. It is about the people of God gathering together to be blessed by the work of God through the Word and the Spirit. And everyone is participating in this. There is instruction that is happening corporately as the people are gathering together, and they are singing. There are, you are participating in that. You are instructing other people, not in a formal way. Don't, 
run the wrong way with this, but we're, we are singing songs that were chosen for this purpose, that people would be blessed. Have you not been blessed by lyrics that you've heard as they were sung by the congregation as they are gathered together? Has that not been beneficial for you at times? I would dare say it's been beneficial for me a great many times. There's many things that I will see in these hymns and these songs and even some of the psalms we read earlier that I'm recognizing that are there, that are contained there, that are instructing me in certain spiritual truths. We have a promise about the Word of God, a promise about the Word of God going forward. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 55, uh, 10 through 11. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to be empty, but, but sit. Um, but, and so this it will accomplish. He goes on to say this will accomplish that for which it was sent to do. And that is true within the service as we're gathered together. The word of God is being declared. The word of God is, is being heard by the people of God. And this is the means the Lord primarily uses in sanctifying his people. So it's crucial that we take that into account, that we, that we treat these times that the Lord gives us for the spiritual edification with a priority, that we treat these times well, that we not, not squander them. Here's the reality. Here's the reality. And I already gave a caveat on this to say, I'm not talking to anyone in particular right now. This is for me and my family as much as it is for anyone else. But the reality is, if you aren't intentional and if you aren't mindful on these days prior to the Lord's Day and on the Lord's Day, the day is going to get away from you. And you're going to greatly neglect the blessing that the Lord has for you in His proclaimed Word, which is not merely the time of preaching. It's the entirety of the service. The entirety of the service is designed and exists. The entirety of the Lord's Day, we could even preach it that way, but I'm just talking about the service right now, is, is, is the entirety of the service is designed to sanctify and to bless the people. And there's consequences if we're not mindful. The day will get away from us. I mean, there, there are lots of times that we can spend catching up with one another that aren't during the service. You know, there's a temptation that is there. You, you want to say hi, but the, the best place to be during the service is amongst the people of God gathering together, worshiping together, singing together, praying together, hearing the word read together, reciting scripture together, reciting catechisms together, hearing the word of God together, participating in the Lord's Supper together. All of these things are to be done with the people of God together, and it's crucial that we're, we're mindful of this. That we must see this first and then make adjustments in our lives to properly accommodate that which we know to be true. About a year ago, there was, there was a woman that had come in to, to visit, and I tried to make my way around to shake the hands of visitors before we leave, they leave, and I walked over to shake her hand, and she told me that she was not happy with this, this church, and uh, she said she's very upset. We are not welcoming. We are not friendly. Nobody talked to her. Nobody said hi to her, um, except for the person in the front, and that was it. Nobody else said anything to her. And I thought for a second, that's kind of odd, because, because I know all of you. When I try to go around and talk to visitors, normally there's one or two of you that have already gotten to that visitor before I even get there, whether it be before the service or after the service. And I, I asked her, well, when did you arrive? What was going on when you arrived? She said, well, there was someone in the front, and he was praying. I came in during the prayer. The person shook my hand and handed me a packet, and I sat down, and nobody has greeted me. Nobody has asked me how I'm doing. No one has talked to me about my day. And I said, well, that's kind of intentional. That's, this is, um, the service is already going on. And so if you show up during the service, there's someone will greet you at the front door. But primarily what we're doing during the service is we're, we're worshiping God during that time. We're singing, we're praying, we're reading the Bible. Um, but after the service, like, I'm here at this point. And there was even one, one brother that was a little concerned. He was like, well, we need to solve this. And no, we, we don't need to solve this. We don't need to have a, a fellowship time in the middle of the service. We had one in a church I grew up in. They would play a song. You'd run around and 
shake hands with everyone. And it really wasn't much of a fellowship time, though. You really didn't have time to talk to anyone. It really wasn't appropriate in the middle of, of a, a service. But we, we must, dear friends, we must be intentional prior to the time of the Lord's Day and, and prior and during the Lord's Day, during these times where the blessing of the Word is, is there. And we, we found this over the years. We, when our kids were younger especially, we had to be very, very mindful. And when you have young kids, many times things, things don't go right and things go awry. And that's the part of having young children and going through that time. But the food had to be made the night before. It had to be made prior to the morning of. There's times where we tried making food that morning and getting all the kids ready. And that's a, that's a disaster that sends you out of the house very stressed. Um, very uh, distracted as you're going out of the house, and you will many times be, be late. Uh, here's a pro tip, though. If you want a pro tip, if you, if you want to be on time for church, okay? It, it just, I've noticed this over the years. If, if you intend to go to prayer meeting and you're late for prayer meeting, guess what? You're going to be on time for Sunday school. If your intention is to go to Sunday school and then something happens that morning, Guess what? You're late. Guess what? You're going to be on time for the church service. And so just a little, if you want a little cheat, cheat mode that you can use there, if you intend to go to prayer time, you can be on time for Sunday school, even if something happens. Obviously, something catastrophic could happen. And there's times where we drove to church and someone got sick in the car and we cleaned it up and drove ourselves back home. We've had, we have had times like that. It's, it's a time the Lord uses for you, even in managing these, these times. But it's, it, it, it's fruitful and it's it's beneficial. It's, it's a good thing. And it will reap dividends in your life, dear friends. If you will prioritize this time the Lord has given, if you will prioritize it, prioritize it like, let's be honest, like you, we do many other things in life, like you may do your, your job or certain hobbies that you have, you prioritize that time. If you prioritize this, it may not, you may not see it immediately that day. Okay, it may not be, okay, here's a one for one, and, and here it is. Sometimes you see that, and sometimes Sometimes you don't, but, but over time, the dividends will be rewarded in your life. They will be there in the life of your family. I believe that to be true. You will see the effects of this. So that's the, you almost have two sub-points here under this. The first is the hearing the word, and the second is the keeping of the word. So, but there's got to be a priority in hearing the word and desiring to hear the word. But Jesus also mentions the keeping of the word. Blessed are those not just that hear the word, of God, okay, but also blessed are those who keep it, keeping the Word of God. You know, there's a, a passage that influenced me many years back, and it's, it's in Ezra, Ezra 7 and verse 10. It says, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes to the rules of Israel. And I, there's, a, there's a part in this story I like as well where they find the law of God and they basically build him a pulpit and he gathers there. And there's this great uh, revival that happens amongst the people during this time period in the time of Ezra. But I saw this, this verse, you know, so many years ago and I, I said, you know, like this is where it's at. I mean, if you can do this, if you can study the law of the Lord and you can do it and then you can teach it to other people, you, you kind of need all of those components Honestly, you've you got to know it, you've got to do it in order, if you're going to be one that is going to teach it. But this is something that is crucial, the, the, the keeping of the Word of God, the, an obedience in following the Word of God. There's, a, there's an illustration that I've used before in the Greek language, and I, I think it's very helpful. And so the word that's used for obedience, it's not the word that's used here, it's a, it's a different word here for for keep um, in, this, in this passage. But the word for obedience or to obey in the Greek is, is hupakue or hupakuo, and that is this, this idea of obeying what has been told to you. But you have within that a, the Greek word akuo, which is to hear. And then you have hupa, which is where we get the word hyper from. Okay, so you have this, you know, almost hyper listening. You don't want to interpret it exactly that way, but you have there within the word, though, this idea of, uh, of listening, of, of, of not just hearing, but like really listening, really hearing, hearing it in such a way that it's affected you in your mind and your heart and influenced you within your desires, your intentions, and your actions. 
And I think as parents, some of you can relate to this. All of you who have been children can probably relate to this as well. How many times have you said to a child or has someone said to you, you are not listening to me. You're not hearing what I say. And you don't mean to that child that the sound waves aren't reverberating off of the tympanic membrane within your ear and, and sending you know, impulses into your brain, but rather the person is not listening in a way whereby he would follow what is being said. A true hearing and a true understanding will result in obedience, will result in following. That is evidence of what we believe is it not? And this is the point that Jesus is making, all right? Jesus is pointing out the greater blessedness is in the life of the person who hears the word of God and does it. Hears the word of God and does it or, or keeps it. Kent Hughes makes this point. He says, this puts the highest blessing of God within reach of us all. There are only two steps in blessedness, or the blessedness that's being talked about here, to hear the Word of God and to obey it. We need to listen to the Word with reverence. We must hear it with understanding and know what it means, and then we must do what it says. What good is it if you know something intellectually and it doesn't affect you at all? What good is it if you know something and, and it doesn't change you, or you're not affected by it? Do you truly know it? The true knowing is in the knowledge and the action that follows that, that action. The Word of God requires a response. Understand that, dear friends. The Word of God requires a response from us. I've heard someone illustrate it in this way. You know, some will, some will say, you know, the Lord is inviting you. The Lord is inviting you to hear His Word. The Lord is inviting you to, to come and to, you know, to come to Christ Jesus. And in some ways, I can understand why someone might say that, but in other ways, it communicates an idea that is a little short of reality. If, if I invite you to a birthday party, you're, you're not required to go, right? If you're invited even to a wedding, maybe if you have a certain part in the wedding, you'd better be there. But for the most part, there's going to be an RSVP at the bottom of any invitation that you get. And the expectation is that you would let the person know that you're going, okay? There's not going to be any consequence to you not going. Maybe if you're close to the person, they might be upset with you, but there's no real consequence. They can't compel you to go. They can't require you to go. But that's not, that's not what's happening with the, with the Lord. That's not what's happening when the Word of God is being declared. He's not in inviting people. He is calling people to respond to His Word. He is commanding He's commanding a response, and there is a consequence if you do not respond. He's calling people to repent of their sins and to turn to Christ Jesus. He is commanding you to turn to him. It's not a mere invitation. It's not a, hey, just come over, try this out for a little bit, see how it works for you. I've heard people evangelize that way, or so they think they're evangelizing. Well, hey, you know, give Jesus a try. Like it's a soda, right? Or like this is the, the new cereal that came out last week. No, that's not the way in which any prophet of old spoke. That's not the way in which any apostle spoke. That does not rightly declare the gospel. No, that blessedness is found in first and foremost coming to Christ Jesus. It is found first and foremost in the one who hears the word of God, who hears the reality of the sin that they have committed, the ways in which they have broken God's law. And no amount of man's religion it will do anything to help you in breaking God's law. You cannot do enough good deeds to make you right before the Lord. No, you need one who would act on your behalf. In this culture here, if I, if I go and I, and I break the law in some way, I can't just go and say, well, look, I did this good thing and that good thing to the judge. No, there's a, a requirement that is necessary for breaking the law. There's a requirement that, that I pay a fine in some way. So it is. The scriptures say the wages of sin is death. The Bible says God has given a time for man to die and then the judgment. All of us will stand before the Lord. Every idle word we have ever spoken will be put before us and we will give an account for how we have lived our lives. 
There's two religions in the world, ultimately. Every religion, for the most part, falls into a category that looks at your righteousness, your goodness, your good deeds, and says it's gonna, God's going to weigh that out. I just hope that God will, will have mercy on me based upon these good things that I have done. Christianity says you are hopeless. It says you are dead in your trespasses and sins. It says on your best day, when you gave your best effort and you worked as hard as you possibly could, you were insufficient. That's why Christ came. Jesus came as one who fulfilled the law in every way. He kept every law, every rule of God, never broke them. And Jesus took upon himself the consequences of sin. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus that whoever believes upon him and repents will be saved. You will have life, not because of your good deeds, but rather because of the good deeds of Christ, because of the merits of Jesus. And you say, so it doesn't matter how you live. It does matter how you live. Because Ephesians 2 and verse 10 tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And if you are one who is in Christ, God has prepared good works that you would walk in, that you would glorify him through those works. But those works don't add to your merit to forgive your sin or to make you right before God. Rather, those works are the effects of the work of God within your life. Dear friends, if you know not Christ, if you've not seen your sin and you've not turned to Christ, you've not trust upon him, consider this reality. You will stand before the Lord and you will give an account. And it is crucial, dear friends, that you have an advocate, that you have one that would stand next to you, one who has acted on your behalf. And that comes through Christ alone. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. It is narrow. It is specific. See your need of Jesus. See your necessity of Christ Jesus. Be one of the blessed ones who hears the word of God and keeps it. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you thankful for your blessing, thankful for your goodness, thankful for all that you have granted to us. We thank you for the fullness of Christ, the bounty of what is in Christ that he has granted to his people. We pray that you would bless us in hearing your word and considering your word and participating in these ordinary means that you've given to us. We pray that you would use these times for our benefit, our growth, and our sanctification. We thank you for blessing us in the ways that you have and granting us access to your word in so many ways. We confess before you that we are neglectful in these areas, that we do not recognize rightly the fullness of the blessing that we have before us. Bless us in this, that we would cling to you, cling to Christ, and grow in holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name.